0: Today's read is quite special because, well, for two reasons. First, because I'm reading the classic Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization, written by the esteemed elder Anthony T. Browder, with an introduction by Dr. John Henry Clark. And second, because this reading came about because one of my listeners... Uh, Follows me on Instagram, subscribes to my podcast and my YouTube channel, and others of you have requested books read. I do have a long list to read. This book is one of them, but he took things a step further and said, What is the cost of you reading this book? And I told him the cost of the book, the cost of my time that goes into a read, and he sent me the money immediately no hesitation via cash app and so I'm getting to it immediately and I want to give him a huge thank you. I'm not going to say his name unless he wants me to so if you hear this and you want me to say a name on the next read I definitely will but I do want to say a public thank you for sponsoring this particular read and now let's get to it. (music) Introduction by Dr. John Henrik Clark The civilization of Egypt, and of Africa in general, is the most written about and the least understood of all known subjects. This is not an accident or an error in misunderstanding the available information, except for Egypt, African people have been programmed out of the respectable commentary of history. Europeans have claimed the non-African creation of Egypt in order to downgrade the position of African people in world history. They have laid the foundation of what they call Western civilization on a structure that the Western mind did not create. In doing so, they have used no logic. Egypt, a Nile Valley civilization, was already old before Europe was born. Nile Valley civilization also existed before the Western Asian civilization of the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. This fact was acknowledged for years by the European academic hypocrites who thought They had gotten away with claiming Egypt as a European or at least Asian creation. The archaeological research of Europeans disproved their claim. They could not find a single artifact in Western Asia or in mainland Asia that was older than the artifacts of Nile Valley civilization or Africa in general. This Revelation created a new dilemma for the European claimers of Egypt. They were saying, in effect, figuratively speaking, that a child gave birth to himself then created his own mother. Tony Browder's book, Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization, is about correcting some of these misconceptions so the reader, in fact, can be introduced To a Nile Valley Civilization in order to understand its role as the parent of future civilizations. When we speak of Nile Valley Civilization and its contributions it must be considered that we are not talking about Egypt alone. We are referring to a strip of geography that extends over 4,000 miles into the body of Africa. And that touches on a multiplicity of civilizations in Africa. It was indeed the last great civilization in Africa. The country the Greeks called Egypt was never referred to as such by Africans during its formative period. What became Egypt was a composite of a number of nations using the Nile River as the world's first cultural highway. The rehearsal for what would become Egypt occurred in the south, in the nations known on present maps as Ethiopia, the Sudan, and adjacent territories. Tributaries of rivers in these nations fed into the Nile and made it the great historical river of the world. In technology, Nile Valley civilization gave the world an achievement in building and in spirituality over and above anything any nation or people have achieved before or since. Out of Nile Valley Civilization came the world's first organized spiritual literature. This literature was so profound, some of it inspired the writing of the Bible. The three major Western religions, Hebrewism, Christianity and Islam were extracted from the spirituality created by the priests and wise men in the Nile Valley. Early in its history and its development, Nile Valley civilization created a basic way of life that attracted teachers, technocrats, and priests from other parts of Africa, always enriching the original composite composition of the Nile Valley, organized farming, and the domestication of animal life gave the population a more than adequate food supply. Therefore, Egypt could attract workers from other parts of Africa. Some of these workers were farmers for part of the year and builders another part of the year. At the time the Nile was overflowing its banks and depositing rich soil on adjacent farmland, the workers and craftsmen were building on the high ground away from the river. The assumption that this great period of building required a massive use of slaves is an assumption and nothing more. When you look at the pyramids, the Sphinx and the great temples in Egypt and the Nile Valley, you have to consider the fact that no slaves would have built with such skill and exactness. Many of these structures have been standing 6,000 years or more and they are still sound. The word slave and the image of the slave as worker is a recurring image in the mind of western man it is hard for him to conceive of extended work of this nature without the use of forced labor the factor that has not been taken into consideration is a great flowering of spiritual fervor and commitment before the formation of organized religions a factor in the matter still not understood is that the Africans try to bring man in harmony with nature. Western man tries to defy nature and often forgets that man cannot start a hurricane or stop one. That before the force of nature, man is small and puny. The European mind, with all its misconceptions, wants to rule everything Including the elements. When you consider that Nile Valley civilization also includes the Sudan and Ethiopia, the contribution to civilization becomes more massive. The parent of what would later be called Egyptian civilization came from the South. The first organized society was in the South. The evidence of an ancient mining complex that is older than the existence of Egypt has been found in the South. There are more than a dozen pyramids in the Sudan indicating that the rehearsal for pyramid building started in the South. Europeans have problems with this revelation because they assume black Africa presupposed a legitimate white Africa. What they forget is that everybody in Africa who cannot be referred to as an African is an invader or the descendant of an invader. The Arab invasion of Africa started about 632 AD, the fact that the Arabs have been in Africa over a thousand years does not rule out the fact that they are invaders and part of a massive occupying army. At the time Egypt was getting its great civilizing show on the road, the Arabs did not exist as a people. Like all invaders, they too have done Africa more harm than good. Tony Browder is one of the latest of a number of messengers attempting to tell the story of the Nile Valley contribution to civilization. For 37 years in the classrooms of Howard University, William Leo Hansberry made an attempt to get this message across to nearly two generations of students, and he died before his massive four-volume work on the subject could be published. Willis N. Huggins in the Harlem History Club of the 30s made the same attempt until his death in 1940. The Jamaican-born J.A. Rogers devoted over 50 years of his life in the study of the role of African personalities, both men and women, in world history. Carter G. Woodson in his book, African Background Outlined, and W.E.B. Du Bois in his work The World and Africa added a new dimension to the search for Nile Valley contributions to world civilization and Africa in general. George G.M. James challenged challenged the assumed originality of Greek philosophy and indicated its Nile Valley origins. In recent years, the greatest explanation of Nile Valley contributions to world civilization has been made by African historians themselves. In the work of Cheikh Antatyop, I call your attention to his book African Origins of Civilization, Myth or Reality, and the last book finished before his untimely death, Civilization or Barbarism. Sheikh Antadiap's finest essay on this subject is included in the Nile Valley edition of the Journal of African Civilization. The essay is called African Contribution to Civilization, the Exact Sciences. In his book, Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization, Tony Browder has associated himself with some top-level academic company. He is both a teacher and a learner. In both cases, he has done well. John Henrik Clark, April 1992. Author's Introduction In November of 1989, at a small restaurant in downtown Cairo, I was having a farewell meal with an associate, Abu El Naga H. Gabriel. Mr. Naga is an Egyptologist and tour guide whose services I have used for a number of my annual study tours to Egypt. During the course of our dinner, Naga asked me if I could explain to him why Black Americans exude so much enthusiasm during the course of our study tours. Naga commented, the Germans are some of the most well-read tourists travelling in Egypt but I have found that the Black Americans have a passion for the history that is lacking in most tourists who visit my country I shared with my friend the fact that many African Americans travel to Africa not as tourists but as pilgrims in search of the missing pages of their history The history of Africa and African people is a story which has been denied, distorted, and often presented as other people's history. When African Americans visit Egypt, it is not only the fulfillment of a dream, but for many, it is often a life-changing experience. I asked Naga to imagine how different his world would be if his Egyptian ancestors had been enslaved by Americans 300 years ago, displaced from their homelands, given new names, denied the right to speak Arabic, practice their native customs and worship Allah. I asked him to also imagine his people now beginning to return to their homelands In an attempt to reconstruct their history, culture, language, and religion only to discover that the Americans now controlled their land. To make matters worse, these same Americans have also written Egyptians out of their own history and replaced them with a history of Americans or other peoples. Over the last decade, thousands of African Americans who have traveled to Africa have become acutely aware that the hypothetical scenario I outlined for my Egyptian friend is a reality for people of African descent. Any culturally orphaned people would delight at the prospect of uncovering the smallest fragment of their historical past. Passion Enthusiasm and anger are just some of the emotions felt when people begin to come face to face with formerly hidden truths. For more than 350 years, tens of millions of Africans were torn away from their homeland, enslaved and systematically stripped of their name, culture, and historical memory. Today, thousands of African Americans are awakening from a state of cultural amnesia and are discovering that Africans possessed a mighty history prior to their enslavement and colonization. Many people are also becoming aware of racist revisionists who have excluded Africans from their own history while falsely attributing their story to people who were mere barbarians during the time of ancient African high civilization. The role racism played and continues to play in shaping world history is a tragedy which negatively influences all people. There are those who are correct in their belief that the race issue is irrelevant and is an impediment to human development. In reality, there is only one race, the human race, which has been proven to have originated in Africa. Yet for years, scientists have ignored and even fabricated data to show that humanity developed in Europe or Asia, rather than acknowledge Africa as the site where the greatest evidence of early human development is to be found. Regarding the issue of the African origins of humanity, Dr. Louis B. Leakey, one of the world's foremost paleontologists and author of Progress and Evolution of Man in Africa, stated, In every country that one visits and where one is drawn into a conversation about Africa, the question is regularly asked by people who should know better. But what has Africa contributed to world progress? The critics of Africa forget that men of science today are with few exceptions satisfied that Africa was the birthplace of man himself and that for many hundreds of centuries thereafter, Africa was in the forefront of all world progress. Dr. Leakey was quite correct in his assertion that Africa was the birthplace of man and civilization it is generally an accepted fact that the primary implements necessary for the development of civilization an alphabet paper pen and ink all had their beginnings in africa writing is an art form which we often take for granted but its profound influence on the evolution of civilization was noted by james breasted famed egyptologist author of ancient times. The invention of writing and of a convenient system of records on paper has had a greater influence in the uplifting of the human race than any other intellectual achievement in the career of man. It was more important than all the battles ever fought and all the constitutions ever devised. The advent of an alphabet, paper, pen and writing Made it possible for man to preserve for future generations the observations of personal events and natural phenomena. These early writers were also the world's first scholars and scientists. The noted social anthropologist, Lord Raglan, believed that civilization only exists in societies that contain scholars and scientists. In his publication, How Came Civilization? Ragling comments, the scholar consolidates and clarifies the knowledge, which has already been acquired, and hands it on to the scientist, who, thus provided, proceeds to experiment and thus to the increase of knowledge. Without the torch of learning The scientist is reduced to groping in the dark, and without the scientist to use and test the results of his learning, the scholar sinks into a barren pedantry. Thus, scholarship and science, in the widest sense of these terms, are the warp and woof of civilization, and the scientist, no less than the scholar, is dependent upon the written word, not only must he be able to use the learning of the scholar but he must be able to record the results of his own investigations. Since then, civilization depends upon scholarship and science and these depend upon writing. Civilization can only arise where the art of writing is known. Raglan viewed writing as one of the major cornerstones in the development of civilization. Unfortunately, in recent years, racism has played a major role in determining how people of color would be portrayed in the writing of the history of the world. Scholars and scientists were sometimes employed by politicians and businessmen and paid to exaggerate the historical accomplishments of Europeans at the expense of most peoples of color. The many biases which exist in the scientific and academic community have prompted the following remarks from attorney historian Legrand Clegg. As long as the world is dominated by white people... As long as those white scientists who now claim that there is no validity to the study of race continue to practice racism socially and academically, and most important, as long as the black race bears the universal badge of inferiority forced upon it by scientists who have distorted or suppressed black history, we shall prominently focus on it whenever and wherever the truth can be told until sincere men of science return the black race to its former position of respect and reverence on the earth. The issue of race as it pertains to the people of ancient Egypt has become the subject of intense debate as more non-white scientists enter the fields of anthropology Egyptology, and other related disciplines. Many scholars are now challenging the previously uncontested theories that were introduced in the 19th century, which claimed that the ancient Egyptians were dark-skinned whites. These biased views continued to be espoused despite the existence of scientific evidence to the contrary, and eyewitness accounts by men such as Herodotus, Homer, Plutarch, and others who described the Egyptians as indigenous Africans. Because of the racism which exists in many institutions of higher learning, there are many educators who not only question the role that Africans played in ancient Egypt, but also view Egypt as separate and apart from the African continent. References to the ethnicity of the ancient Egyptians ignited a storm of protests in 1989 when the Ramses the Great exhibit toured the United States. When the exhibit went to Dallas, Texas, members of the African-American community openly expressed their outrage over the portrayal of Ramses Ramesses, and the Egyptians as non-black. The ensuing debate over the exhibit and the ethnicity of Ramesses II led to the stinging criticism of the African American community by Abdel Latif Abu Ellah, Egypt's cultural emissary to the United States. Mr. Abu Ellah disputed any African involvement in ancient Egypt and commented Egypt, of course, is a country in Africa, but this doesn't mean it belongs to Africa at large. This is an Egyptian heritage, not an African heritage. We are not in any way related to the original black Africans of the Deep South. Spurred on by Mr. Abdul Elah, which was later reprimanded by the Egyptian government for his comments, the African-American community continued to press the issue. A threatened boycott of the exhibit eventually led to changes in the exposition and the convening of a conference entitled Ramesses II, and The African Origin of Civilization. This three-day national conference featured 14 distinguished scholars who provided evidence to support the thesis of an African origin of civilization. The event was sponsored by the Third Eye, a local community-based organization, and the Dallas Institute of Humanities and Culture. The Ramesses II conference prompted the following remarks, from Diane Ragsdale, the Deputy Mayor Pro Tem of Dallas. This conference, more than any other event held in Dallas, exemplifies direct positive action being taken by the Dallas African-American community to research and interpret African history for the purpose of uplifting the national consciousness of the community. While the Ramesses II conference sensitized the citizens of Dallas and made them acutely aware of the many distortions relating to Africans and African history, the event was all but ignored by the media. At the outset, a great deal of media coverage was given to the initial controversy regarding the blackness of Ramesses but the presentations which substantiated the African origins of Ramesses and other pertinent aspects of Egyptian civilization were neither acknowledged by the media nor challenged by critics. The lack of balanced coverage on this matter led many to speculate that there are those who wished to deny and cover up any information which conflicted with the myth that ancient Egyptian civilization was white at best, mixed at the very least, and African only in the minds of people who have a neurotic need to invent a pedigree. For years, historians have written scholarly papers disassociating Negroes from the development of civilization in Africa, while attributing those accomplishments to a race of people called Hamites. This Hamitic myth was invented in the 1920s by C.G. Seligman, a British anthropologist and author of Races of Africa. According to Seligman, Negroes were too primitive to be capable of any advanced thought. Seligman believed that civilizations in Africa were created by Hamites, whom he regarded as Caucasians belonging to the same branch of mankind as almost all Europeans. As recently as 1977, the World Book Encyclopedia described the Egyptians as black-haired, dark-skinned peoples who belonged to the Mediterranean race of the Caucasoid white stock. The encyclopedia further states that as time went on, the Egyptians mixed with peoples from Asia, Negroes from other parts of Africa, and peoples from lands around the Mediterranean Sea. The following is a list of comments made by some of history's most renowned thinkers and their views of African people. Arnold Toynbee, historian. When we classify mankind by color, the only one of the primary races which has not made a creative contribution to any of our 21 civilizations is the black race. David Hume philosopher I am apt to suspect the Negroes to be naturally inferior to the white there never was a civilized nation of any other complexion than white nor even any individual eminent, either in action or speculation no ingenious manufacturers amongst them no arts or sciences John Burgess scholar. A black skin means membership in a race of men which has never created a civilization of any kind. There is something natural in the subordination of an inferior race, even to the point of enslavement of the inferior race. Richard Burton, explorer and writer, The study of the Negro is the study of man's rudimentary mind, he would appear rather a degeneracy from the civilized man than a savage rising to the first step were it not for his total incapacity for improvement. Benjamin Franklin, scientist. Why increase the sons of Africa by planting them in America, where we have so fair an opportunity by excluding all blacks and tawnies or increasing the lovely white and red Thomas Jefferson, President. I advanced it, therefore, as a suspicion only, that the blacks, whether originally a distinct race or made distinct by time or circumstance, are inferior to the whites in the endowments of both body and mind. Abraham Lincoln, President. There is a physical difference between the white and the black races, which I believe will forever forbid the two races living together. While they do remain together, there must be the position of superior and inferior, and I, as much as any man, am in favor of having the superior position assigned to the white race. Henry Berry, Virginia House of Representatives, we have, as far as possible, closed every avenue by which the light may enter the slave's mind if we could extinguish the capacity if we could extinguish the capacity to see the light our work will be complete they would then be on the level of the beast of the fields and we then should be safe are black people inherently inferior to white people Were the preceding comments made by racists or by learned men? There are some behavioral scientists who believe that racism is a learned behavior. If that is a reality, then it is quite possible to trace this behavior to its source. In this particular instance, a specific educational institution and a single individual has been identified as a primary source for the invention of the doctrine of racial inferiority. The creation of this myth was fabricated in 1795 by Johann Friedrich Blumenbach, a professor at Göttingen University in Germany. Blumenbach produced the first scholarly work on human racial racial classification and invented the term Caucasian. Martin Bernal, author of Black Athena, The Afroasiatic Roots of Greece, discusses the impact of Blumenbach's research. Blumenbach was the first to publicize the term Caucasian, which he used for the first time in the third edition of his great work De Generis Humanae Veritativa in 1795. According to him, the White's or or Caucasian was the first and most beautiful and talented race from which all the others had degenerated to become Chinese Negroes, etc. Blumenbach justified the curious name Caucasian on scientific and racial grounds. Blumenbach was conventional for his period in that he included Semites and Egyptians among his Caucasians. Between 1775 and 1800, Göttingen established the concept of the science of antiquity, upon which future universities would build. The slanted and distorted research which emerged from this institution established Much of the intellectual framework within which later research and publication within the new professional disciplines was carried out, states Bernal. The myths that were created at Göttingen have held sway in academe for more than 200 years. Very few scholars took seriously any theory that conflicted with the accepted belief that the ancient Egyptians could have been anything other than Caucasian. But in the early 1970s, these biases were scholarly, intellectually, and scientifically challenged by two sons of Africa, the late Senegalese multidisciplinarian Dr. Sheikh Ndadiab and his associate from, from Gabon, Dr. Theophile Obenga. Doctors Diop and Obenga both presented papers at the Cairo Symposium which unequivocally destroyed the myths of black racial inferiority. From January 28th through February 3rd, 1974, the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, UNESCO, sponsored the symposium which was held in the capital of Egypt. The symposium was attended by 20 of the most prominent Egyptologists in the world who assembled to debate, among other topics, the race of the ancient Egyptians. Dr. Diop was a brilliant scientist who held degrees in Egyptology, physics, linguistics, and anthropology. He was regarded by his contemporaries as the pharaoh of African studies. Dr. Diop presented a paper entitled Origins of the Ancient Egyptians and argued irrefutably that there were 11 categories of evidence to support the thesis that the ancient Egyptians were indigenous black Africans. Dr. Obenga's paper was entitled The Peopling of Ancient Egypt and the Deciphering of the Mariotic Script. He provided data which confirmed the existence of substantial linguistic relationships between the ancient Egyptian language and traditional African languages. The papers presented by Diop and Obenga were virtually unchallenged by the other scholars present, which prompted the following comment by a reporter attending the symposium, although The preparatory working paper sent out by UNESCO gave particulars of what was desired. Not all participants had prepared communications comparable with the painstakingly researched contributions of Professor Cheikh Antadyap and Obenga. There was consequently a real lack of balance and discussion. The general consensus reached at the Cairo Symposium was that there was no evidence that the ancient Egyptians were white, and that Egypt was not influenced by Mesopotamia, but by peoples from the Great Lakes region in inner equatorial Africa. The symposium also rejected the notion that Pharaonic Egyptian, which remained a stable language for more than 4,500 years, was influenced by Semitic language. The proceedings of the conference were published By UNESCO in 1978. One of the most significant revelations presented at the Cairo symposium was Diab's development of the melanin dosage test. This one simple test provided the means by which one could determine the phenotype of the Egyptian royal mummies by examining the melanin content present in their skin. The test involved the acquisition of specimens consisting of a few square millimeters of mummified skin, which were then coated with ethyl benzoate and exposed to natural or ultraviolet light. This procedure rendered the melanin granules in the skin specimen fluorescent, thus enabling them to be counted by Diop, who stated that the experiments show a melanin level which is non-existent in the white-skinned races. Let us simply say that the evaluation of melanin level by microscopic examination is a laboratory method which enables us to classify the ancient Egyptians unquestionably among the black races. (laughs) Despite the research of doctors Diop and Obenga, numerous issues concerning the ethnicity of the ancient Egyptians and the Egyptian contributions to civilization continue to be discussed and debated. Some scholars will never accept the fact that Africans, blacks, had anything to do with the development of Nile Valley civilizations and the culture that emerged in the northernmost region of the Nile Valley, Egypt. The myths that were created at Gatenjin are too powerful for many to overcome. Other scholars will only begin to modify their position when they are overwhelmed by the plethora of evidence now coming forth, which supports the reality of the African origins of Nile Valley civilizations. Since the beginning of time, myths have played a powerful role in the formation of institutions and shaping the beliefs, customs, and religious rights of humans. Most myths are of unknown origin, but may be traced to some historic event from times long gone. Many believe that myths have the power to liberate the mind and guide the soul along a spiritual path of human potentiality. Without myths, life has little meaning, but when fabricated for the benefit of a chosen few, myths become a detriment to humanity by impeding mental growth and understanding. The purpose of this and future volumes of the Exploding the Myths series is to examine the potent force of myths and to understand how they influence the thinking of millions of people worldwide. This series will provide, in lay terms, a clear and concise analysis of data which supports the African presence in world history and its influence on various cultures throughout the ages. The reasons for my focus are few. Over the years, I have come to realize that many myths associated with man, God, and civilization have evolved out of concepts which originated in Africa, the birthplace of humanity. And secondly, the story of African people is probably one of the most continually distorted stories of any people on the planet. The term conceptual incarceration has been used by Dr. Asa G. Hilliard to describe the mental condition which affects the thinking processes of millions of peoples of African descent. Dr. Hilliard, an educational psychologist and historian, suggests that victims of fabricated histories are often confused, isolated, and disoriented as a result of a loss of historical continuity. The remedy for such a malady lies in the victim making a unilateral mental declaration of independence. Dr. Hilliard states that free and critical minds can emerge only by a return to the source the primary sources. A free and critical mind takes nothing for granted and is not intimidated by authorities who frequently may be more confused than the general public. Free and critical minds seek truth without chauvinism or shame. The first volume of the Exploding the Myth series is entitled Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization. It is divided into three parts, each focusing on specific themes relative to Nile Valley history, the disintegration of Nile Valley culture, and the reconstruction of the Nile Valley legacy. Part one is entitled Nile Valley Civilization and it consists of three chapters. The early chapters explore the physical geography of the Nile Valley the origins of the two branches of the Nile River, and the migratory patterns of the early Neolithic people. Subsequent chapters examine the 6,000 year history of ancient Kemet and the development of its educational, philosophical, and social infrastructure. Part two is entitled The Stolen Legacy and consists of four chapters. The first chapter provides a survey of George G.M. James' masterful work, Stolen Legacy. The remaining chapters detail the Europeanization of Kemet after its conquest by the Greeks and subsequent invasions by the Roman, Arabic, French, and British armies. The last chapters provide an account of the Kemetic Egyptian presence in Europe, the United States, and Mesoamerica. Part 3 is entitled, The African Renaissance, and comprises three chapters. The first chapter describes methods of symbolic interpretation through which the history of Kemet can be recognized and identifies Kemetic art elements which have been infused into iconography, stonemasonry, fashion, and advertising. The following chapter focuses on the negative psychological effects of miseducation and how they can be overcome through the practical application of accurate historical information and imagery. Part three continues with a discussion on African-centeredness, what it is, what it is not, and its relationship to multiculturalism and Eurocentrism. This chapter explores the significance of study groups and how they are formed and structured. It also includes information on networking with existing community organizations, national institutions, and businesses. The last chapter in Nile Valley Contributions to Civilizations consists of a question and answer segment which explores significant issues pertaining to African history and their impact upon African people. If all history is indeed a current event, as stated by Professor John Henry Clark, then the truthful knowledge of African history and the application of that knowledge into a spiritually oriented value system will serve as the first step toward the continued liberation of African people for generations to come. Two additional volumes of Exploding the Myths are currently being researched for a future publication. They include Volume 2, An African-Centered View of Washington D.C. Masonry and the United States, An Analysis of Kemetic Architecture and Symbolism and its Influence on the Design of Architectural Structures in Washington D.C. This publication also will explore The African Origins of Masonry and the Role of Masonry in the Development of the United States. Volume 3, The African Origins of Christianity, a further study of Nile Valley philosophical traditions which have been modified and incorporated into the religious systems associated with Christianity. Undeniably, Nile Valley civilization plays a central role In the development of this and future titles in the Exploding the Myths series, it is my sincere hope that these works will cause many to read and to study with a free and critical mind, and that we come to understand the significance of the comments made by the late Sheikh Diab when he stated, for us, the return to Egypt Nile Valley civilization in every domain is the necessary condition to reconcile African civilization with history. Egypt will play the same role in the rethinking and renewing of African culture that ancient Greece and Rome plays in the culture of the West.